We continue with the Song of Moses in a few moments, the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32. But there is something which I just want to say. There's an important event happening in September of which we should all be aware. We may be asked questions as to what we believe about this event and the events, of course, leading up to it. It's the Pope's visit to Britain. It should be an opportunity, perhaps, for many to explain what Scripture says about the various beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church. It's all based on the event which is going to take place towards the canonization of Cardinal Newman. Cardinal Newman lived from 1801 to 1890, the Venerable John Henry Cardinal Newman. And the Pope is uh, going to eventually make this man a saint. I was looking at a site which is from the fathers of the Birmingham Oratory and for the cause of the beatification and canonization of the Venerable John Henry Cardinal Newman and that is one reason why the, the Pope is coming to Britain. The remains of the Venerable John Henry Cardinal Newman will be placed in a glass-sided casket in the upper cloister hall at the Birmingham Oratory on Friday the 31st and Saturday the 1st of November and this goes right back a few years. They exhume the body of Cardinal Newman and unfortunately for them the meticulous ex exhumation of Cardinal Newman's grave at Rednall on Thursday the 2nd of October 2008 did not recover any human remains. Therefore, the fathers of the Birmingham Oratory have decided that the specially made marble sarcophagus intended to receive Cardinal Newman's body will not now be placed in the church as originally planned. But they do have some remains. These include locks of Cardinal Newman's hair, already in the possession of the fathers of the Oratory, a small cross and clothing found in the grave, and some wood from Cardinal's original oak coffin. And they are being preserved at the moment. And there was a high mass which was celebrated at Birmingham Oratory uh, on Sunday, November the 2nd. And the transferred feast of all saints. The celebrant was the most reverend Vincent Nichols, Archbishop of Birmingham, and there were others there as well. During the, this Mass, the remains of John Henry Cardinal Newman will be solemnly placed in the chapel of St. Charles Borromeo, a friend of St. Philip Neri, situated in the right of the sanctuary. They will rest in the chapel while the step-by-step -step process of Cardinal Newman's beatification continues. And... Uh, these things are placed and there were certain times given on the following, the, the previous Friday and Saturdays, the times during which visitors will have an opportunity to pray 
in the presence of the remains. It's all very gruesome, this exhumation in order. They thought they were going to be able to get a finger, but they didn't. Of course, Cardinal Newman was buried with a lifelong friend, and he asked on at least three occasions that his body would not be removed from the grave, but they have overridden that request. And there's also grave doubts about Cardinal Newman's sexuality while he was alive. And even since his death, there has been talk about it. So there we are. That's the event. And because of this event, in a report I read this week, it says Catholics pray thousands of rosaries ahead of the Pope's visit to the UK. The Catholic charity Aid to the Church in Need is helping prepare for the Pope's visit to the United Kingdom with thousands of prayers. They've prayed 31,000 decades, that's groups of 10, of the Rosary, which usually is about seven weeks of prayer. Eucharistic adoration has taken place for more than 130 days. Those who joined the initiative have added their names to a handmade book which will be given to Pope Benedict XVI during his upcoming visit in September. And you know, what does all this mean to us as Christians? Well, I think to start with, as I said before, it means that you may be presented with opportunities to talk with Roman Catholic friends and explain to them the teachings of Scripture in contrast to what they have been taught. Explaining to them that it is not a sin to believe that we may know the assurance of salvation now and that John in his Gospel and his Epistles makes this assurance and the fact that we now have eternal life very, very clear. Now, in relation to the rosary in particular, the, the ones mentioned here, these rosaries are being recited in front of the Eucharist or the container which holds the Eucharist. Hen hence the term, they are having uh, Eucharistic adoration as they, as they pray. The container is called, as far as I can understand, the tabernacle. And the Second Vatican Council laid down some rules in this respect. Rule 314, in accordance with the structure of each church and legitimate local customs, the, blessed, the most blessed sacrament shall be reserved in a tabernacle in a part of the church that is truly noble, prominent, readily visible, beautifully decorated, and suitable for prayer. The one tabernacle should be immovable, be made of solid and inviolable material that is not transparent and be locked in any such way that the danger of profanation is prevented to the greatest extent possible. Moreover, it is appropriate that before it is put into liturgical use it be blessed according to the rite described in the Roman ritual. So you have this uh, tabernacle in the front of the church and they pray to and through uh, this 
uh, tabernacle which contains the as they would believe the body and blood the actual presence of Jesus Christ the book of common prayer the 39 articles particularly declares such doctrines as being repugnant to the clear teaching of scripture but sadly the Anglicans do not appear to believe these articles anymore the first thing we should mention uh, to our Roman Catholic friends is that there is not one iota of biblical truth in anything to do with the rosary or with purgatory some time ago I mentioned that the previous Pope wrote an apostolic letter and it was this Rosarium Virginis Mariae of the Supreme Pontiff John Paul II to the Bishops, Clergy and Faithful and he wrote it on the Most Holy Rosary you probably have never heard, read this doctrine but it contains many interesting insights into the teaching and error within the Roman Catholic Church in this apostolic letter he mentions very positively a book the secret of the rosary by Saint Louis de Montfort we don't have time to discuss the whole thing about the rosary this morning but sufficient to note just a couple of points contained in this book accepted by the late Pope as an authority on the rosary I have a copy of, of this book the 14th printing in February 1975 this is not we're not talking here about the medieval past this book is still to the fore although written some time ago this one has the imprimatur of Thomas Malloy the uh, Archbishop of Brooklands in July 1954 but here it says talking about indulgences now you think perhaps that indulgences are something which Luther complained about but they're still prominent and active within the Roman Catholic Church an indulgence is and this is what the book says an, an indulgence is a means of lessening the satisfaction we must make for our sins even after they are forgiven the fact the fact that the Bible says God puts our sins behind his back and they're thrown into the depths of the deepest sea your sins and iniquities will I remember no more we have to make satisfaction for our sins even after they are forgiven it is a grant made to us by Christ from the treasury of the superabundant merits of Christ the Blessed Virgin and the Saints what that means is these saints have an abundance of goodness and righteousness and grace and that superabundance that they have is sort of uh, allocated to people in these indulgences it is a remission in whole or in part of the temporal punishment due to sin and is thus known as a plenary or partial indulgence confession and communion are required to gain a plenary indulgence but it is not necessary to go to communion every time we wish to gain an indulgence 
weekly communion will suffice. And the following are some of the indulgences granted to all the faithful. Now listen carefully to this, please. The plenary. Now that, that means not lacking in any form. Full, complete, absolute indulgence. One, for devout recitation of the rosary, five decades, before the blessed sacrament, exposed or in the tabernacle, and two, at the end of a novena in honour of Our Lady of the Rosary. So you get a complete, if you do that, you get a complete and absolute indulgence but with a partial one. Five years each time the rosary is said. Five years remission in purgatory. Two, ten years once a day for saying the rosary with others. Three, five years each day of a novena in honour of Our Lady of the Rosary. And listen to this one. Four, on beads to which are attached the crozier, Dominican, and a Bridgetine indulgences. These are extras you can have put onto your rosary beads at certain places by certain priests. If you pray with the crozier, 27,500 days each time the rosary is said. 27,500 days, 75 years and 125 days remission each time the rosary is said. There are lesser days with the other two, the Dominican 5,500 days and the Brigitine 5,000 days each time the rosary is said. And that is what these people are doing, praying in front of the tabernacle. And they believe that each time the rosary is said, they are receiving, if they are using beads that are attached to the crozier, Dominican and Brigitine indulgences, and some of them they're getting remission of 75 years and 125 days each time the rosary is said. So we have a duty to tell these people that this is not in the Bible. Why did our Lord Jesus not mention it? Why did the apostles not mention it? Why did Paul not mention it in his letters to the churches? John, the beloved apostle. It was very remiss of them. If this is true, why is it not mentioned in Holy Scripture? One other thing about the rosary, and then I will uh, finish on this particular bit. Given to St. Dominic Guzman and Blessed Alan de la Roche, both people who promoted the rosary, Mary appeared and gave 15 promises of Mary to Christians who recite 
the rosary. The first one. I'm not going to go through the whole 15. I'll just pick out things. Whoever shall faithfully serve me by the recitation of the rosary shall receive signal graces. Two, I promise my special protection and the greatest graces to all those who shall recite the rosary. The rosary, this is number three, shall be a powerful armor against hell. It will destroy vice, decrease sin and defeat heresies. Let's go on a bit. Number six. Whoever shall recite the rosary devoutly, applying himself to the consideration of its sacred mysteries, shall never be conquered, conquered by misfortune. God will not chastise him in his justice. He shall not perish by an unprovided death. If he be just, he shall remain in the grace of God and become worthy of eternal life. Number eight. Those who are faithful to recite the rosary shall have during their life and at their death the light of God and the plenitude of his graces. At the moment of death they shall participate in the merits of the saints in paradise. Number 11. You shall obtain all you ask of me by the recitation of the rosary. Number 13. I have obtained from my divine Son that all the advocates of the Rosary shall have for intercessors the entire celestial court during their life and at the hour of their death. 14. All who recite the Rosary are my sons and brothers of my only Son, Jesus Christ that, that's all I want to say about the rosary except to ask how can born again believers with the indwelling Holy Spirit and the gifts of God go along with churches who teach this type of thing it's all very sad now, let's turn this morning to Deuteronomy 32 and we read a few verses from verse 16. This is very apt. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Last time we met, we saw the dangers of being too comfortable in this world. We saw how the eagles stir up their nest in order to encourage the, 
the small eagles, the eaglets, to, to desire greater things, to desire the open spaces, the ability to fly, to fly free over the, the rivers and land. You know, the Bible speaks of the freedom or the liberty we have in Jesus Christ. We have wonderful liberty in the gospel. But as with the Israelites, who used their liberty to become fat and neglected their God, and started worshipping other gods, and drifted into sin, so there are warnings in Scripture lest we should regard the liberty that we have obtained from ritualistic religion as something else, not in line with sound doctrine. We look at a few verses in connection with our liberty in Christ. If you go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In this chapter, Paul is dealing with the question of meat offered to idols. You know, Christians have been freed from all the rituals and sacrifices of the law. We've obtained freedom in Christ, liberty in Christ. And that liberty involves so many blessings and truths as we look through, through Scripture. You know, in, in Hebrews 10.19, we have this the, one of the most wonderful blessings which we have through Jesus Christ. Having therefore boldness, brethren, to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus. These Christians to whom Hebrews was written are being reminded that instead of having to come through a priest with all the rituals of the Old Testament, instead of that, they have free and fearless confidence, boldness, free and fearless confidence to come before God through our Saviour, Jesus Christ, our great High Priest. That's one of the freedoms we have by being born again, living the Christian life, we have access into God's presence through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful privilege and what liberty compared with those who lived under the law. They were bound by the law. They had to go through a priestly order in order to have access to God. The sad thing, of course, is that many churches today still invoke the law in relation to many rules and rituals in their churches and exclude and rob the believers from many of the God-given Calvary won blessings in Jesus Christ. They have formed a, a class, a clerical class between the believers and God once again. Those people cannot perform in their churches certain functions that only the clerical class can perform. Who uh, performs at the communion service? It's either somebody licensed by the church or the clerics can distribute the bread and the wine. Who performs so-called baptismal services? It is the clerical class who do this. They have reintroduced 
these rituals that Calvary has done away with. And so, in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul warns in not exceeding and using our liberty at the expense of weaker Christians. The Christians, it would appear, were lax in this respect. And he picks out the, the subject of meat offered to idols. We want to make sure that the liberty which we have does not affect other Christians and how they live. Although meat which had been offered to idols would not affect them bodily, but eating it might offend a weaker Christian who might see that eating such meat was tantamount to, uh, in some way, approving idol worship. And so Paul warns. Paul warns. Look at verse 9. Take heed. Now we've said many times that these two little words, take heed in scripture, are put there for us to sit up and listen and take notes, take heed of what the Apostle is saying. Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. And you know, we, we look at this and we can extend this doctrine here to other situations which we see today in this evil world. And Paul says, take heed. Take heed that that doesn't happen. That what we do and how we behave as Christians does not affect those around us to fall into sin. And much more so, those other Christians who are weaker, that they are not affected by what we do. And if you go on to... 1 Corinthians 10, Paul extends and uh, goes further with this uh, sort of question. Look at verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own but every man another's wealth or another's, another's uh, physical, spiritual wealth. Oh yes, he says. Going back to the First Corinthians 8, uh, eating things won't affect you bodily. 
But it may not be expedient for you to do that thing. All things might be lawful, but mightn't edify. And he goes on then in verse 31. Wherefore, therefore, eat, ye eat or drink, or whatever ye do, do all for the glory of God. That's the principle by which we should live. Are we edifying God? Are we doing it for the glory of God? Give none offence, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. If me, by doing something, by compromising my faith, by uh, joining up with other groups of Christians, is it edifying God? He says, even as I please all men and all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And you know, Paul further enlarges on this subject of liberty in Galatians. In Acts 18 and verse 23, we read that Paul went over all the country of Galatia. What was he doing? He was strengthening all the disciples. Strengthening the disciples. That was his object of going on this extra little bit. Strengthening all the disciples. Therefore, how sad, how sad it was for Paul to find they had been sidetracked. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another gospel. And anybody who perverts, perverts that gospel, he says, let him be cursed. Let him be cursed. Anyone who has dragged you back under the law, let him be cursed. Some erroneous teachers had entered their fellowship and drag them back under the law we think of the seventh day adventists these days but there are others in other churches who have dragged the people back under a ritualistic type of religion he gave a very good summary of this problem how it had been dealt with by the elders back in the church in jerusalem the early church and how he himself had acted. If you look at Galatians 2 and verse 4 and that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Jesus Christ that they might bring us into bondage. That was the object of these people to bring them back into the bondage of the law. And you know this is a very interesting thing. Verse 11. Peter came from to Antioch. I withstood him. I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Can you imagine? Paul and Peter. Peter was not acting just as he should. For before that certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Fearing one, some of these people who had crept in privily. 
And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as a Jew, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Peter was not acting uniformly. And now, what has happened to these Galatians? They're back in the same situation that they had seen happen in the early church that Paul had to deal with, even to deal with Peter. These Galatians, their liberty, had been stolen away from them. He emphasises their liberty in Christ, which these legalizers would take from them, and so he commands them. Listen to what he says in Galatians 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Couldn't be clearer. Jesus gave the parable. No man signs a, 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 sews on a bit of new cloth and an old garment because it'll all fall asunder. A new order had come in. The old law had was dead. We've nothing to do with the old law. It's dead. We are under a new covenant in Jesus Christ. We have, therefore, to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 1 to verse 13 in chapter 5. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. Don't use your liberty as an occasion to serve the flesh. And then he goes on in verse 14 to tell us how we should live our Christian lives. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. 
And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The Israelites, going back to Deuteronomy 32, they had also mistaken the freedom they had obtained from the bondage of Egypt as a password for self-indulgence and idolatry. And what happened? Verse 16. They provoked God to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils. Not to God. To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that came newly up. Whom your fathers feared not. Out of the rock that begat thee. Thou art unmindful. And hast forgotten God. That formed thee. Don't get involved in all. This ritual. So Paul warns the Galatians. And us. To take heed. To our lives. Not to walk after the lusts of the flesh but to walk in the Spirit and produce in our lives day by day the fruit of the Spirit. He says in Corinthians, Do all to the glory of God. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's spiritual wealth. Be ye followers of Christ. The Christian pathway is a difficult, difficult path to walk. But listen to what Paul says when he's writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter 5. See then that ye walk circumspectly, exactly, accurately, diligently, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Making wise use and sacred use of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and make, making melody in your heart to the Lord I was thinking of that uh, little thing we used to sing in my heart there rings a melody there rings a melody of heavenly harmony in my heart there rings a melody there rings a melody of love he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, we said at the start, 
this big event is coming to our country. We want to make use of that opportunity to explain what we believe. To be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. May God bless us each one. Amen.